Hello, and you're listening to What the Dev. I'm your host, Christina Cardoza, and today I'll be talking about agile conversations with the ones who wrote the book, Douglas Squirrel and Jeffrey Frederick. Hey, guys, how you guys doing today? I'm doing well, Christina. Hi, Christina. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be on. So you guys just published a book, Agile Conversations, in May. And, um, you know, tell me a little bit about this, Douglas. We'll start with you. Why, why did you guys decide that this was a topic that the industry was missing well um there's kind of a a friendly reason and then a a, a more edgy reason the friendly reason is that we see so many digital transformations agile adoptions um teams trying to get better and use devops we see all of those things failing over and over and over again and when jeffrey and i look at that uh, i'm out i'm out there consulting with those kinds of folks jeffrey comes with me sometimes we're um seeing friends and and uh uh, colleagues in the in the industry being so frustrated and we say there's actually 45 years of social science that tells you how to do this unfortunately it's kind of um uh, uh, locked up in in academia and so we should try to apply it to the con- the situations we're in because it works so well for us that's kind of the friendly reason the uh the edgy reason is that uh, i read a book called uh, five dysfunctions of a team by lencioni which is this fantastic work of uh, partial fiction that describes a team and all their challenges. And they go through all the kinds of things that we see in agile teams all the time. And uh, it's wonderful and tells you all about all the problems. And I kept reading and I turned to the back and I thought, oh, great, now I'm going to know what to do about it. And it said, in order to build trust, go on a ropes course. Oh, yeah. And maybe tell some stories about your life. And I said, this is the worst thing ever. I threw the book across the room. I was just so frustrated. Um, And so our book, in some sense, is a response to that. We have five conversations, not five dysfunctions. And we talk about concrete steps, things that you can do that require no more than and no less than a piece of paper, the ability to fold it in half, and the willingness to write on it and confront the fact that you might be part of the problem. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I've been writing about Agile for about seven years now. And whenever I talk to these thought leaders, they're always talking about how, you know, it's really a cultural transformation that needs to happen. And it really resonated me reading the introduction of the book, how you guys explain that, you know, they do always say that, but no one ever gives you a solution to that problem about how you actually do make that culture transformation. So Jeffrey, um, how do you think these conversations help with the culture of Agile? Uh, the, the way these conversations help is they allow you to start uh, talking to each other in a different way. And to be clear, you're going to start with yourself. This is a book that tells you about how to change your own conversations, and then other people will change how they respond. And what we're describing is how to behave the way that you already know is the best way to behave. Whenever we ask people if you're going to make a decision as a group, if you have a a challenge you're trying to tackle as a group, how would you recommend we go about doing it? In other words, what process should we use to make our decision? And everyone says the same thing. You know, we have a we have a great team of people. They come with a diverse set of backgrounds. They bring different viewpoints, and we're going to ask everyone to contribute. And we're going to get the best possible solution when we hear everyone's input. We're curious about what they have to say. And we're transparent. We share our own thoughts and feelings. We're going to put that all in a mix. We're going to have different ideas. There's going to be productive conflict between those ideas. And then that's going to lead us to the best possible result. Everyone says this. But then it turns out the way our brains work, 
the cognitive psychology, the cognitive biases that are built into our brains prevent us from behaving that way. And this book is about developing the skills so that you can start behaving the way that you already know is the right way to behave. And but so unfortunately you, you don't have the skills, so you don't know how. And uh, you can uh, get evidence of that, even though you might think you know how, by actually analyzing your conversations. And you will discover, because I predict that all your listeners are, are human, Christina. I, if you have any non-human listeners, there maybe may it won't apply to them. But the humans are going to find that they do not have the skill that they think they have and that there are ways to improve. And that's what the book takes you through. And each, each of these conversations, then we describe in the book, the five conversations, the trust conversation, fear conversation, why conversation, commitment, and accountability. In each chapter, we lay out as step-by-step step and different tools to use for those conversations so that you can have productive conversations that, that move you forward. Great. Now, how did you guys come up with the, the five conversations? Jeffrey, if you want to start, you just listed them off a little bit. Well, partially, as Squirrel mentioned, we had the the five uh, conversations that were, were somewhat a response to the five dysfunctions of the team, but but not quite. This is uh, since we were saying on all of our experience, what are the elements of high performing teams? What do they all have? This is sort of the if you've ever heard the opening line of Anna Karenina, that all happy families are alike, each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way, and it's sort of similar with high performing teams and high performing agile teams. Uh, uh, fall into this, that there's certain elements that, that everyone agrees they have. They uh, have high trust. They are able to uh, discuss their emotions, what things they're afraid of. They're, they have a shared sense of purpose, which is the why. The people have committed to common outcomes and they're accountable to each other. They share their plans of what they're doing. They share their progress. This is These are common across all high-performing organizations. And so it was distilling down the behaviors we saw that were common and essential for high performance, and then laying out the steps of how to get there. So who's responsible for starting the conversation? Or how, um, you know, do you know if you need to have these conversations? Douglas, if you want to take this one. Yeah, well, the, the, the first thing is, um, again, I would refer to the humanity test. So um, if your listeners are normal humans, uh, and I predict that they are, then there are areas in which they uh, need to improve in uh, uh, their skills to uh, build trust, to reduce fear, and to address the other issues. So that's the very first test is, um, are, do you have a team? And is the team performing perfectly? If your team is performing perfectly, you don't need our book, but then you're probably not a team of humans. Um, but less facetiously, the uh, diagnosis has never been a big challenge for me. It's one of the questions we get sometimes, you know, are there diagnostic tools in the book? Can you take a little quiz and determine whether you should start with the fear conversation or you're ready for the commitment conversation, that kind of thing? We didn't do that. It really never occurred to us until we started getting questions like that after publishing. And uh, the reason is that um, it, it really seems like the, it's not that difficult to figure out that, for example, uh, you and the uh, team that you're trying to work with have very different stories. You have a different perception of um, uh, how your team works and what things are important. That would be, we diagnose that as a, a lack of trust, and we'd advise you to have a trust conversation and use a tool we call test-driven development for people, which helps you to understand how to improve trust. 
I've never seen people have that much difficulty figuring out that they don't have trust or that they don't uh, that they don't have psychological safety or uh, the other ideas once they understand what those are. The biggest problem tends to be that people say, oh, yes, it's those people over there. It's those other <laughs> folks who need to improve their conversations. I wish they'd read the book. And the message, if your listeners take away nothing else, if they read the book, get a piece of paper, look at your own conversations and figure out how you can improve them. Um, you'll find that in all five areas, there are um, bits for you to improve and uh, you won't need a diagnosis tool in order to figure that out. And when you improve your conversations, you actually improve other people's conversation as well. So you are part of their environment. They will respond differently when you are behaving differently. So you, they don't, you don't need to get buy-in from people. You don't need to get everyone on board to start having better conversations. You can just become more skillful yourself and the conversations will be better. Now the book splits up these conversations into different chapters, starting with trust, then followed by fear, why, commitment, and accountability. Are these, you know, sort of the order in which you're supposed to be having these conversations? Yes. So certainly we, we wrote them in that order with a purpose. And that's because, for example, unlike um, uh, Cynic, who wrote the book Start With Why, and you've, you've probably seen his TED Talk where with the three circles talking about why uh, it was the I have a dream speech and not the I have a plan speech, you know, kind of good stuff, very good uh, material. And he's absolutely correct, except and he would say this too, that um, if you don't have trust, nobody's going to believe that your your why makes any sense or, or cooperate with you in building one. And if you have uh, don't have psychological safety, if you're suffering from fear and it's not mitigated, then you might be too afraid to actually try um, uh, achieving the goals that are captured in your why. So uh, we, we see the, the five conversations very much as building to a, a, a high performing team. And uh, in each chapter, we say, by the way, if you haven't done the one from the previous chapter, go back and, and figure that one out first. Don't read this yet. Now, um, you know, the first part of the book gets in a little bit about the history of software and it goes over again, the principles of agile and DevOps. Why did you guys think it was important to start off with those principles before getting into the conversations? Um, Jeffrey, if you want to take this. Sure, I'd be happy to. And uh, the I think that this was very important. I, we wanted to anchor people um, into the fact that all of these techniques that people are trying to do, uh, if they're trying to do an agile transformation or uh, a, a lean transformation or a DevOps transformation, if you go back and look, the, each of these um, ideas, when they came forward, they really emphasized people. They emphasized the human nature of what they were introducing in, in contrast to what came before. Uh, this is very, very clear in the case of Agile. It's part of the manifesto. Uh, it's, um, so uh, people in, in, in interactions over process and tools. And we thought that was important because we're, we're kind of making the case there if that if you're trying to uh, adopt one of these uh, approaches and it's not working for you, it could be because you've left out this very important element, which is the human element. And that's where we start that with chapter one is we recapitulate the history, uh, recent history of software uh, what we've lived through, we talked about how we we moved from sort of a factory model of software, which is a very inhuman approach. That's kind of what people would call waterfall is, you know, if we were all robots, it might possibly work. But then we get into when people were talking about Agile and Lean and DevOps, they really were talking about things that practices that worked because of the relationships between people that we were exploiting the characteristics of people to get better outcomes. And 
we end up by saying, if you have people involved, then it's really important to understand the attributes of people. And one of the primary attributes of people is that we are communicating beings. And if that's true, then it's valuable to invest in improving your communication ability, improving the skills that, of the conversations you have. And, and one of the very frustrating things, at least for me, you can tell I'm kind of a frustrated person, so I'm, I'm telling you about my frustrations today. Uh, one of the frustrating things for me is when people say, oh, yeah, you know, if we could just get the culture right. Yeah, if we could just get uh, our teams to call, communicate and collaborate, then, you know, things would be better. We, we just can't do that. You know, it doesn't work here. We're not able to do it. I, I don't want to hear that excuse anymore because um, somebody wrote the book on how to do it. And if, if you go and try the techniques in the book and then you can't get the communication, then you can't get the outcomes that uh, Agile uh, folks have been talking about for 20 years, then come back and tell us that, uh, that, that it doesn't work for you. But try the techniques because there are actually step-by-step -step methods you can do that improve trust, reduce fear, um, and, and address the other issues. I'm, I'm frustrated by people who say, uh, you know, it didn't it work for them. They had better communication. I can't do anything about it. There is something you can do about it. Yeah, I actually love that you guys put this up front in the book because it serves as a reminder of why, you know, Agile and DevOps, these these methodologies really started. Um, you know, it helps speed things up and get higher quality software. But I think the point of all of this was also to try to get teams to work better together and to collaborate. So why do you think, you know, that the principles, you know, individuals and interactions over processes and tools, why do you think that that sort of got lost along the way and these conversations weren't a natural thing? Well, well, I think it's, it's, go ahead, go ahead, Jeffrey. I, I think the, the reason is because it's easy to see the processes and it's harder to see the relationships. It's hard to, to see what's in people's heads and the kind of the art, the conversations that people have don't get recorded on a step-by-step, -step, you know, here's how to implement Scrum or, you know, this is what our DevOps practices look like. When you have those worksheets, the, the processes are easy to see. They're easy to, to measure. You kind of have a checkbox. Are you doing this? Yes or no? And that ease of description made it easy for people to focus on those and miss the dynamics. You know, obviously Agile is not a static thing. DevOps, the initiatives are ongoing and there's always improvement and learning to go with it. There's never an end goal. So, you know, do these, how do you keep having these conversations in a meaningful and valuable way as you continue to be Agile, as you continue to be DevOps? Well, as you become skilled, what happens is that um, you discover new ways that you can continue to improve. So somebody asked us, I can't remember who it was, um, you know, uh, how long does it take to master these ideas? And my answer was, uh, well, w ask us in another 10 years. We've, we've been studying for 10. We're not masters. So, um, uh, you know, we're still discovering every day new things that we could do that would be better um, and, and improve the quality of our conversations. So I'm um, not sure how long it takes. However, in order to become decent, um, it probably only takes a, a, a few weeks or months of uh, 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 concentrated um, uh, uh, practice, you know, for a few minutes a day. Um, so it's not like it's an impossible thing to get better at. Um, but uh, uh, certainly what I would expect to see for uh, listeners who choose to read the book and actually do some of the practices is that they would find an immediate improvement. They would say, oh, yes, our team is uh, trusting each other better. We're uh, able to reduce fear. Uh, we're making meaningful commitments. Uh, we're really accountable to each other. 
that would be the first thing you'd notice. But then you'd say, oh, yeah, and you know, we're not really that aligned on why we're doing it. We need to go back to that why conversation. And so you'd come back to that and then refine and improve. So you're, you're always going to be balancing and improving different areas and uh, discovering new things. That's kind of why it's fun to keep working in uh, Agile teams. Although I will say, I think there's a sort of shuhari element here where uh, and this is uh, shuhari is the idea that comes from uh, martial arts where you start off doing essentially uh, kata. You do the same form over and over again. And th these conversations are sort of the equivalent. We're laying out standard type conversations and standard tools to way to have them. As you master them, you, you then move in, into the ha level where you start to be able to choose dynamically between them. But your goal ultimately is the re-level where you transcend them. And so the conversations here help to sort of start you on that path. And uh, the, when you get to the high level, then you'll have this sort of experience that Squirrel described where you'll be able to say, oh, wait, we need to go back to this or that. Um, and I'll be able to choose various tools in different conversations. But the, the conversations never end. If we were to make the analogy, we often make the analogy of learning the skill of conversations, like learning a musical instrument, like learning to play the piano. And if, if, if we say then, well, <clears throat> you may stop playing a particular piece of music, but your skills you're developing of playing music will continue. So as long as you have a teamwork and conversations and collaboration, you're going to keep using these skills and keep developing them. Now, as um, you know, teams become more distributed and the team members start working from home more often, do you guys have any advice on how they can continue continue to have these conversations remotely and continue to connect so um there's some really interesting aspects to the the fact that lots of folks have become remote really suddenly and um one of them is that uh, suddenly conversations become super important and uh, we were just chatting to somebody earlier today who, who um, uh, works with lots of different organizations and they, they were mentioning how uh, suddenly this has become moved way up the um the list of uh, issues and important problems for not just the HR department who previously might have trained people in communication or something like that, but now for CEOs and COOs and CTOs who, who say, my God, I've got all these people and I used to have this feeling, it wasn't really true, but I, maybe, but I, I have this feeling that I could know what they were doing. And now I can't just walk down the hall and, and, and listen to the buzz. So I, I can't actually tell what's happening. So suddenly I'm very interested in accountability. Suddenly I'm very interested in communicating the reason why we're working and, and in improving my trust with my team. So one aspect is that the um, the, the pandemic has, has increased the visibility and the importance of the, these kinds of uh, um, communication tools. But it also means you have to be much more mindful about how you use them. Jeffrey, do you want to talk about that maybe? Well, absolutely. And I think one of the elements here is that we, we're used to having conversations in, in person. We're used to having all these affordances that we get just from being in the same room. We can get a lot more information from looking at someone's facial expressions and um, how their, their body language. And then when we move remotely, we suddenly are lacking a lot of the affordances we're used to. And so to, to uh, therefore, these conversations can be more difficult. We're, we're a bit out of our depth. So I think this is actually a good time at, at, to develop uh, these skills because we are in um, an uncertain time and there is some uncertainty about how to have these conversations productively. So I think this is a good time then. We, we are now confronted that our sort of our lack of facility. These are not the conversations we're used to and therefore paying attention and bringing these skills into it deliberately as a way to offset the awkwardness 
uh, and uncomfortableness and our, our lack of familiarity with remote collaboration, I think this is really a good time for people to be looking for these kind of skills. Great, guys. I think that's going to be all the time we have on the podcast today. But before we go, um, you know, is there any final thoughts or key takeaways from the book you wanted to add? And also where and how can our listeners get their hands on the book? Sure. Well, that certainly the final thought, which we want to, to drill home to everybody, is there is something you can do about the frustration that you feel. It's probably that you need to do something different. And we'll help you with what that is. It starts with folding a piece of paper in half and writing on it. And we tell you exactly how to do that and how to analyze your conversations and improve them. Surprisingly, that's probably the most difficult message of the book is you need to do something about it and there is something you can do. So um, that's the final message I'd say. And you can hear lots more, including that final message and, and lots of examples, free videos, a podcast that has 120 episodes and lots more. That's all on conversationaltransformation.com. Or if you happen not to remember that, remember the title of the book, agileconversations.com. They both get to you to the same place and you can find lots about us. Thanks again, guys, for joining us on the podcast. If you'd like to learn more from Jeffrey and Squirrel, they will be speaking at this month's virtual VSM DevCon. Register today at events.sdtimes.com slash value stream DevCon. Until next time, you've been listening to What the Dev.